Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based on the west side of Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictive compulsive behaviors. Welcome to my podcast, named after my recent book, It's Not About the Sex. Here we have honest conversations related to compulsive sexual behavior and trauma, all from a sexual health perspective. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints and practical strategies toward establishing greater intimacy and a more deeply connected life. Let's begin. Hello, Sue. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? It's going really well. How are you doing? Good. Glad the rain finally stopped for now. Oh my gosh. Do you see the smile on my face? I know our listeners can't, but I was just outside like, this is what it's all about. Yeah. I love getting that vitamin D. (laughs) The sun is out. And and for those who are not in Los Angeles, you have to picture this because this is rare for us. So we're in general, we're surrounded by mountains pretty much, Mm. but you you know, Sue, that that we don't usually see anything more than snow-capped mountains. Right. But the the mountains are white. Like it's like plank. something out of the sound yeah. of music or something. It's like, yeah, a whole blanket like is over the entire mountain. No, yeah, it's amazing. I saw it again today and I'm just it takes your breath away. It's maj- majestic. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, nowhere so- have you do you get that view either because it's flat and then like even in the white mountains when i'm familiar with or vermont or new york yeah, you don't yeah. see the whole mountain just right white like this is it's really neat right and that's why they call it the la basin because actually it's quite flat and then the mountains just grow from there and and the snow has been phenomenal and the rain has been fantastic. And, and even though, you know, it causes some problems, we need it. And, and it's just been a wonderful thing. I think it's, it's very cleansing. It is very cleansing. That's a good word. Yeah. For it. yeah. yeah. But it's nice to see the sun. Like I would see pockets of blue sky over the past week. I'm like, oh, it's still there. There's still blue Exactly. Sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we do open a lot of podcasts talking about the weather, but it, I know. <laughs> it definitely does influence my mood. <laughs> For sure, for sure. And one of the reasons you moved here. So sure. there you go. And second and me to too. Second to yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, second yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> so what I was thinking about when we were putting together today's episode was the fact that we talked about group therapy almost a year ago. And we did a whole episode on demystifying group therapy. But I thought it would be really helpful for us to dedicate an episode to men's groups, which often can be even more mysterious than group therapy in general. Yeah. So, well, what do you think, what's the historical context of you becoming a leader of a men's therapy group? Well, I told this story before, so I'll I'll say it briefly. My dad was actually in a men's group, a men's therapy group in Philadelphia in the early eighties. And it was really mysterious to me because I was a kid. I was like a high school kid at the time. And I just saw him go into center city from the suburbs where we lived once a week to meet with a bunch of men. And I thought, Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I was a teenager, so I wasn't paying too much attention, but little by little, I noticed my dad was just 
getting a little more sturdy in himself. And what he did eventually was he left my mom and it was really necessary. They were miserable for many years, to tell you the truth. And after speaking with him about it, he feels that the men's group was instrumental in helping him find his voice, know what he really needed, and to take the steps to finally create a new life. And so my dad illustrated something for me through that experience that was really quite unusual at the time, but he somehow knew, I guess actually his individual therapist at the time told him to, to consider this men's group. And he's definitely someone who listens to advice mm. and he went every week religiously for years. Wow. So that was really the context of a men's therapy group from my experience. Wow. So it seems like the men in that group and your dad that you're speaking about really needed a safe place and a safe space for other men to be able to communicate um, and to be understood by other men. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I believe that sociologically, men are really raised to be tough, right? That there's this idea, not all men, but no, that but yeah. many men are, are, are raised from the beginning you know, to, to not show their feelings, to, to pull their bootstraps up, to do what they have to do to get by and, and to be what I guess society would consider to be strong. Right. And I, I think that's such a disservice. And so this is what I understand. And I'm sure it's much more in depth than this, but there is something called the men's movement, just like the women's liberation movement mm -hmm. at, at about the same time in the sixties, seventies, and into the eighties, um, the, the men's movement was really something that evolved because men were really longing for the company of other men, right? To really be themselves, to really be honest with themselves and, and with others. And, you know, some groups form that I think get a little bit of a, a, a bad rap, which is those men's groups in the 80s that were used things like sweat lodges, mm -hmm. drumming, mm -hmm. talking sticks, that kind of thing. And actually all those traditions and rituals are from Native American, um, you know, traditions, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's interesting there, there's every kind of men's group out there. There there's um, Christian men's groups, there's feminist men's groups, there's father's rights men's groups. And then there's the more traditional men's psychotherapy group, or I call it interpersonal process group. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember my dad did belong to, it was like the Knights of Columbus. So I think it's like Christian based group, but he would go as men's only. And um, yeah, it was interesting. I thought it was like this big secret group, kind of like you're speaking about with, it was a mystery. There was some mystery to it. It's like, why are these men getting together and what are they talking about type right. of thing? I mean, obviously your dad is a little more traditional and psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Right, but but you're right. I think there is a mystery because a lot of these types of groups meet behind closed doors. And so we don't really understand exactly what they're doing. But to me, there's a desire to feel a sense of belonging, 
a sense of being understood, uh, a feeling of being heard. And some of these groups are professionally led, some of are peer led, but it doesn't really matter. I think there's just a, a part of the human condition is, is to feel seen, heard, understood, valued, respected, et cetera. And so any of these groups can provide elements of that. Um, today, we're gonna to be talking more about what I call interpersonal process groups for men. But I, I just wanna say that I think my dad at the time before he joined the group was really quite lonely and overburdened with stress mm -hmm. and, and, and in general felt misunderstood. And he, I don't think understood his own wants and desires. And as part of his group experience, he learned about what's going on inside of him. What, what do I really want? What do I really desire? What's truly going on inside of me? Feelings, thoughts, sensations, impulses, memories, et cetera. So um, it, it really can be, and I don't mean to use this word lightly, a transformative experience. And I really saw my dad changed so much and and after he left my mom he moved into a new life and eventually met my stepmother they were together for 25 years before mm -hmm. he died and 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 was courageous enough to do what he did especially for a man who was born in the 20s yeah. to go into a men's group in the early 80s really cool yeah because i was kind of not heard of really i would think so exactly so why would uh, a man, any man, seek out one of your men's groups over any other type of group. Right. So I, I don't really compare other groups to mine. So I'm not going to speak to how other groups work or what makes mine special. But I've been leading groups for 31 years, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Literally unbelievable when I say it out loud. But people tend to come to my groups because, number one, they probably heard of me and my groups because they've been around a long time, but, but also because there's a sense that their individual therapy has just reached its limit when it comes to its value. Now, some people will do individual therapy and group therapy um, at the same time. Many people will transition and make their group therapy their primary therapy. But let's say somebody's working on intimacy in, in their individual therapy, and they're also working on career stress, right? Or, um, or, or just feeling a, a, a sense of not knowing what they really want. Like they have a sense of, of what they might want out of life and relationships, but they don't know how to really ground themselves right mm -hmm. so those are some examples of what people come to group for because the difference of course between individual and group is in group you get a lot more feedback and you're with other men not professional in, in terms of being therapists but other men who really want to learn about themselves and really want to help you learn about themselves right so so it's that feeling of huh we're all in each other's corner. We really want the best for each other. And so there was one group member of mine a long time ago. He said that if he died and, um, and he was being kind of uh, futuristic, he, he said, if I died, 
I know that there's at least seven other men who would show up at my funeral. Oh, wow. Very touching. Yeah. Interesting. So, well, can you walk us through the, and these are process groups, right? Correct. Yeah. Can you walk us through the process? Um, Like a man calls you, he tells you that his therapist thinks he would benefit from a men's group. Sure. The first thing I want to do is I want to talk to somebody over the phone and, and make sure that they really understand the nature of my particular process group, right? So we do a little pre-assessment just to make sure they're on the right path. And then I'll say to them, based on our phone call, would you like to meet with me to go over more in detail what group is about, what you might bring to group, and what the group might bring to you? And generally speaking, if I don't know someone, they're not in my practice and somebody came from the outside, I would meet with them four times individually. And the reason I do that is I really want to make sure that it's a good match, right? I want to make sure that the group is the right match for the prospective group member. And I I want to make sure that prospective group member is a good match for this particular group. And so we spend a lot of time getting to know each other. They learn about my style and about how I do therapy a little bit. We call it preparatory sessions, but they're really kind of like therapy sessions. And I get to know them and find out what their trajectory is. What what is it that would really be meaningful for them if they joined the men's group? Wow, it's quite a process. So so they make it through all that. Um, They join your group after your prep sessions. Um, What benefits can they expect from your group? Well, it's different for everyone, but I think what I said before about the person who said, if I died today, I'd have at least seven people at my funeral, um, feeling a sense of belonging is something we're biologically wired for. And group is, is terrific for that because it's not that everybody has to like each other the same, right? Some people will gravitate more to some people and less to other people. But generally over time, there's a a deepening of respect and a deepening of trust. And that takes time, right? And and respect and trust is is part of intimacy. And the only way intimacy can really take place is if someone takes emotional risks. So I'm really there to hold a space with them so that they can feel a sense of belonging They can determine, again, what they really want and desire, both within the group and outside of the group, to have more access to their internal world, feelings, thoughts, sensations, et cetera, and and to do some muscle building around relationships. You know, sometimes people in group will get angry with one another, so we deal with the anger, and, and there's that safe enough space to talk about it and put it into words rather than the ways that sometimes we just push it aside or, or um, put, you know, put it under the rug or whatever the the expression might be. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really depends on, on the individual, but I think most people would say that they look forward kind of like cheers to, to going every week to a place where everybody knows your name. Nice. I still watch that show, FYI, but it, it's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> so 
What are some of the typical themes that get processed in there? And are those themes different because it's on men's only group, do you think, or from your mixed group? Right. It's, it's interesting because I used to think it was different, but there's a lot of overlap. I think what the, the distinction is not so much the themes that get discussed, but the fact that men sometimes are willing to talk with other men about things that they never would on the outside. So a good example of that is shame, right? Um, shame is something that's very difficult for men to talk about in general. And with friends or with family, even if you're close with people to really name the shame and, and try and process the shame, it's just not easy. In, in group, I welcome it. You know, I, I always quote Brene Brown. She says that shame is given to us by others and shame is healed through others. And so I believe that group and men's group is, is such a rare place to be able to process shame as an example, right? So to go back to your question, anything that gets identified in individual therapy as a an issue as a, um, a dilemma or a challenge in one's life gets discussed in group, right? And, and what's interesting is that once in a while, a client will share something in group that has never been shared in individual therapy. You know, some of my clients in group, I, I have seen in individual therapy and sometimes we'll be in individual therapy for several years and something will come up in group that that's just brand new. Right. And it's interesting because I don't know what that really means, but I think there's something really powerful about expressing the unexpressed in the company of six, seven, eight other men. Right. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's That's a healing wonderful. opportunity. Yeah. To take advantage of that community is just amazing. You must, it must shock you and surprise you, but you feel like, oh, good. This is fantastic that they felt that they could expose themselves, so to speak, to others and get that support. They're so comfortable in that group. It always surprises me. And to tell you the truth, I feel like a proud papa. Right. <laughs> it's like, you go. <laughs> That's right. I just cheer them on. Yeah. So yeah. you, you kind of hinted towards this. So you see <clears throat> some clients both in group and also in individual therapy. Exactly. It's, it's always an option. There's no formula that goes along with it. Um, some clients really want both. They want the support in an individual way and in a group way. And like I said, some clients may just want group and some people may come back to individual because they want to work on a particular issue in a way that's maybe not able to be worked on in depth and in, in group. So it's really a personal choice and, and I, I encourage people to do whatever feels right to them. Right. Sure. So how long does a typical client stay in group and when it's time for them to leave, how do they say goodbye? It's a difficult question. I've never taken statistics on this, but I would say on the average, maybe three to five years, it's not a short-term commitment. What I tell people when they're considering group 
is that if you're coming to my Tuesday afternoon group, block out your Tuesdays for the indefinite future. And, you know, if there is something that could get in the way of attending at that time, please let me know now. Because I, as the group leader, I commit myself to that block of time. And it's sacred. It's just like individual therapy. You have a two o'clock on Wednesday for your appointment. That's your standing time. Mm -hmm. It's the same exact way in group, except there's actually more accountability. There is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I would say that some people have honestly stayed as long as 20 years. Wow. And some people will leave prematurely, sometimes less than a year. I feel that because I've been doing this a while, I'm much better at preparatory sessions and making sure that somebody is truly ready. Mm -hmm. Because I think when I was younger, I would sometimes want the person to join group more than they would want to join group. And that's always a, a recipe for disaster, right? right? Yeah. Once in a while it works. But a lot of times there has to be that, that preparation, that readiness, that willingness to bring in the open-heartedness to, to do this particular kind of work, which is not easy. I consider it postgraduate work. Right. Yeah, for sure. But the men in my groups tend to be really, really grateful for one another. There's, there's a level of love. There's a level of, of like I said, respect and, and trust and intimacy and a level of honesty that's different than what I call the outside world, right? Where people can truly be themselves and encourage others to truly be themselves. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. You know, I, I yeah. have to say, I, I love my mixed gender group um, for different reasons, but my men's group have, men's groups have a certain place in my heart because I see how hard they're working to develop those intimacy muscles and to develop that level of commitment and honesty and, and, and ability to, to really go deeper. So it's different for everyone. And when, when somebody is ready to leave, usually it, I used to ask for four weeks of, of goodbye. And that's a typical kind of time frame around saying goodbye. I had one person who had been in group a long, long time and they took six months to say goodbye. Um, another person not too long ago kind of stretched it out and, and for various reasons was a little inconsistent with attendance, but, but really wanted to have a goodbye because that's a norm of, of all groups, but certainly men's groups when we're talking about having a good goodbye, right? Yeah. If somebody doesn't do that, that's, that's their call. I can't uh, make them come to group four times or, or beyond that. But then again, it's, it's grist for the mill, right? The men's group gets to work on what it was like for somebody to leave before we really had a chance for the full goodbye. Mm -hmm. And the reason I find that, by the way, so vital is that we don't have many rituals or many 
spaces for goodbyes, right? True. When when somebody leaves us, or when somebody dies, or when somebody suddenly um, goes away, ghosts us, right? These are painful, painful things. And I don't want to replicate that in my men's groups. Right. Right. I want them to have a reparative experience where it can be different and where we can really have that fullness of a goodbye. And even when we do our best to have a good goodbye, there's always leftovers and, and people always end up talking about the person who left. Not so much specific to them necessarily, but just the feeling of, wow, I didn't really feel like I had a full chance to say what I wanted to say. But that, that, like you said, it is grist from the mill and it's interesting to process that in a society where we don't really know how to handle goodbyes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some people do more than others, I should say. Yeah. But I, I, I really want to at least create that space where we can have that experience that's different than what has been experienced in the past. So, well, this is kind of opening it up a little more, but what is it like to be leading a men's group for more than three decades? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so let me clarify for our listeners that I, I started my first group, first men's group in 1992. Okay, I was still an associate. I was unlicensed. And that group, I, I was the leader of that men's group for eight years. And then I left that practice and I ended up um, starting another men's group about a year and a half later once I established my own practice separate from the group practice. So I have had that men's group uh, since 2003. It doesn't mean that the same men are in it because there is plenty of turnover. But what it says is that there's enough interest in that type of support and that type of therapy that the people keep coming (laughs) that I I mean, I'm, I'm proud that I I've worked really hard on becoming a better group leader through the years. And I, I, I love learning and growing all the time, but the thing about leading men's groups for 31 years is honestly, it's, it's such a gift. It's, I feel so grateful. I'm, I'm, as I'm talking, it's like a Rolodex of men who have trusted me to come into our men's groups and, and do the work, right? Some have, have stayed longer and, and worked deeper. Some have stayed less time and, and haven't been able to go as deep. That's okay. Hopefully they got something from the experience. So if, if there's anything I can say about the 31 years is first of all fear feels unbelievable to me it also feels like such an honor because these men are really really working hard to have more fullness of life more aliveness more vitality and my hope and there's no real measure that can look at this at least I'm not a researcher, but um, I haven't found a measure. But I hope that from the time they come into the group till the time they leave group, 
they feel more expansive, right? They feel more alive. They feel more vitality. They feel more sense of hope. And all of those things are priceless. And to be able to witness that week in and week out, I mean, basically I've been, my, my first group was Wednesday at seven o'clock and it was a weekly group. And now I still have a Wednesday seven o'clock group <laughs> all these years. And I, I, I feel like there's something I want to say sacred about what gets shared. It's, it's more than therapy in some ways. It's really a tribe um, of, of men working really, really hard to, to be their best selves. It's beautiful. Can you, I don't know if you want to do this or not, but I was wondering if maybe you could share a little bit about how you facilitate it and it, a little bit about the group. Like, do you present a theme? Would you bring up shame or do you allow them to kind of bring that, to, bring that up? It's a great question, and I'll I'll try and answer it as best I can in in shorthand. Um, I don't bring themes into the group. Uh, what I count on is that group members come to group wanting to work on something in particular, wanting to focus on a, an issue in their lives, and it might be something in the room with the other group members mm -hmm. that came up, or it might be something that happened outside. I, because I consider them here and now process groups, what most people say about, about men's group is that they take home the feeling of being with one another. There might be issues. Let me give you some quick examples. Let's say somebody is involved in some kind of uh, marital problems. They may talk about marital problems or someone might be really, really burdened with aging parents. And that's another something that might get discussed, right? But ultimately, the details or the content of what gets discussed is actually secondary. It can be helpful, but the primary is the honesty with one another and, and, and really deepening the, the, the feeling of um, being with and who really care about other men, right? So, and, and by the way, my, my men's groups um, have some diversity. Um, I've always had a mix of gay and straight, maybe a, a little sprinkling of bisexual, I'm not sure, um, but definitely different uh, sexual orientations, um, which is not always the case, by the way. Some, some men's groups are one or the other. And my dad's group in the early eighties was mixed in that way. And so I, I really, use that as a template. But what I was going to say, Sue, to, to answer your question is, I may name a theme, like if somebody is talking about aging parents, and they're feeling really depleted and feeling shame that they're not showing up for their parents the way they want to show up for them, I might say something about, so it sounds like there may be some shame around that issue of, of being there for your parents. And so I, I, I might name, right, or, or I might state my observation, but I never, in, I, I don't bring in the theme of the night. That's not the kind of group I, right. I, I, I have been trained in. I really depend on the clients to, to bring it in 
And I'm always looking at the dynamics between the group members, mm-hmm. the, the content. If I get too lost in the content, I, I know that I've got to ground myself and come back to what's happening between the group members and, and in their relationship to me as well. Would you call out um, a client who might you see like fidgeting when someone's talking about something that's uneasy or ask them to maybe speak about what, what this is bringing up in them or. Absolutely. So my Wednesday night group is right now completely on zoom, which for me is a little bit of a heartache. I have to say, I, I, I I love in person, but I've learned to Mm. work with zoom, which is, you know, a gift that we even have the technology. It's not as easy to pick up on nonverbals, but when somebody is looking away, and usually it's maybe looking at their phone or or just they're tired and they're not able to keep eye contact on Zoom, I might mention to them, I don't want to shame them, of course, but I might say, oh, Joe, I, I noticed that your eye contact is a little bit um, askew tonight. Is there mm-hmm. something that, that that might be telling us? Can you put words to that? So um, same thing with fidgeting. Occasionally, I can pick up on fidgeting and I, I usually say something about it. Again, just in passing to, to see how they're able to work with that. My, my groups, because many of the men have been with me for a long time, they don't get defensive about it. They usually say, yeah, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, um, or I'm distracted. I had this thing happen at work today and, and I could use some time. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious why did, you didn't mention that early on, but absolutely. Let's make sure you get some time tonight. So yes, that, yeah. that's yeah. in person. It's easier with nonverbals for sure. Cause we get the full body and, and the, the energy up. in the room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <for sure>. The <laughs> distractions yeah. aren't there. Yeah, it's a great question, Sue. I, I, I think it's, um, we're always looking for what's being said and what's not being said. Yeah. The nonverbal um, cues are important, I think, for people, even outside a group, to be able to be aware of. Like, what are you putting out yourself? That's right. You know? So um, just one more thing for people to draw their attention to. For sure. When and active listening, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there's an expression, um, intent versus impact. And so someone might think their, their intention is to be attentive to someone, but for some reason they don't come across that way. The impact on the other person or persons is you seem really distracted or shut down tonight or something like that. And so, um, the impact that the guys have on one another and on me and the impact that I have on them is always talked about in one, one form or another. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful yeah. opportunity to be able to almost practice things that you wouldn't necessarily get away with. Right. If For sure. Called you out on that in you know real life, you'd be kind of taken aback probably. For um, sure. Well, congratulations on your three decades. Do you have <laughs> openings now? I'm no, I'm not qualified, but <laughs> I actually for your men's group. <laughs> I, I do have one opening in in my Wednesday night group, and um, yeah, I I um, I'm really blessed. You know, all I can say is I'm blessed, and I um, 
you know, I'm always open to continuing to learn. And every time there's a new group member and every time the group is going in a, a different direction than I expect, I, I have, I, it keeps me on my toes. Mm. And so I'm looking forward to at some point bringing in a new group member. As I mentioned, I go quite gradually. Um, but yes, thank you for asking. And I, I'm sure the right person will show up. Well, thank you so much for, for talking about this with me, Sue. I, I, when, as I talk about it, I feel so awake mm -hmm. and so passionate about what this particular therapeutic space provides and what it's been like from literally 1992 to 2003 and how it's truly changed me. Amazing. Sounds like there's a book in there, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. Take care, Sue. Thanks for listening today. It was so great sharing the time with my colleague and friend, Sue Merlino, and discussing this really meaningful topic. If you're so inclined, please give us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe and share my podcast with those who may benefit. I look forward to you joining us the next time. And don't forget to stay connected.